Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, citizens, to Liberty Tales from the Tower. As your media director, it is my privilege to inform you that the following stories will contain content some listeners will certainly find disturbing. But first, we here at Tower 4 have a few brief but special announcements. A quick update on critical research. Our team has written the script for the first four episodes, which are already longer than the script for the entire first season. So you could almost say that we've written just as much as season one already, though we still have quite a ways to go. Additionally, we'd like to remind everyone in Tower 17 of District 11 that maintenance workers from Goptum will be doing extensive repairs and calibrations throughout all of the floors of the tower, following yesterday's fire. The cause of the fire is still unknown, but by tonight, the gravity, oxygen levels, pressure, and temperature should be returned to their normal levels. On the topic of normalcy, it is easy to overlook the small things that make up your daily routine. For instance, a misplaced data pad or an odd elevator ride can certainly undermine the normal feel of life. Floor None is written by Caitlin Statz and is read for us by Sean Francis. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.
After several years playing fetch for an interior decorating team, I gratefully accepted the new position as the interdepartmental courier for a new research division of GOPTM. The selected floors of a particularly damaged tower in District 9 had been rebuilt, renovated, and modified over the last few months to suit the needs of the new set of research and testing units. The majority of the other workers were already in place, everything from managing research leads to janitorial staff, but a couple of additions were overlooked at the beginning. The courier job was one, thankfully. About a week into the job, I was extremely happy with the new position. I was responsible for delivering items between labs, floors, and even buildings within the district. It was a big upgrade from carting strange sculptures and furniture across the city. My new job feels much more meaningful after being entrusted with these more important objects. In the middle of my second week, I was running a whole queue of interlaboratory packages from one floor to another. Floor 8 had a whole cart piled carefully with objects to be delivered up to floor 19. A rather nonchalant green-garbed researcher signed over the cart to me, and I headed off with the loaded trolley toward the floor lobby. I passed the recreation hall on the way out and stopped in to take a quick drink. Inside sat a few of the floor 8 lab workers near the end of the shift, taking time to catch up on their day. Octavia was seated across from the door and greeted me upon arrival. She's a wonderful woman, very friendly and talkative. She walked over to me following my arrival. How are you, Festus? She poured me a tin of water. I'm so happy my shift is nearly over. This place really disturbs me this late in the evening. Disturbs? This made no sense, as the whole building was a perfectly functional, clean, and diligently patrolled set of science labs. Yes, it makes me feel so very uneasy. Sorry, I can't really explain it. Flavia and Tertius also get the same feeling. Have you? She sipped her drink. Do you get the same feeling, I mean? No, not really. I really quite like the new renovation aesthetic. Very clean. I downed the drink and pondered that perhaps she was simply accustomed to the general dilapidated nature of District 9. But my thoughts were interrupted by the beeping of my data pad. The delivery queue was awaiting confirmation. Well, I guess not everyone does. Have a productive day. I'll see you tomorrow, perhaps, Festus? May the Archon watch over you. She stirred a drink and walked back to the table. I nodded and turned the courts around, heading out the door. When I got to the lobby, the place was empty. But one of the elevator doors was already open and vacant, so I carefully wheeled the cart into the lift. As I pushed the cart, the front wheel stuck the edge of the elevator platform and unbalanced several pieces from the front of the cart. Fully in the lift, I scrabbled forward to catch and adjust the falling equipment as the door slid shut. With everything finally back in place, and a few mumbled curses, I reached out for the indicator for floor 19. As I reached for the panel, I found a distinct lack of buttons, or a panel. The door was already shut and the elevator jostled slightly as it began to move. Confused, I looked for a service button of any kind and found nothing. I was in some sort of maintenance or private elevator with a preset destination, and I awkwardly waited for my arrival. Some of the more private floors had specific elevators, and I grew anxious of my job security as I approached what I suspected might be an angered supervisor. When the elevator finally stopped, 
I noticed that I did not know whether I had traveled up or down, seeing as I had spent most of my time stressing over all possible excuses to avoid a firing scenario. When the door chimed open, I tried my best to form a casual smile while waiting for the chastising words of security personnel, but no one was there. The door slid open with a silent glide, and before me was a plain hallway void of angry or armed peoples. Relieved, I stepped outside the elevator and pulled the cart out of the elevator behind me. I paid careful attention to the stacked objects this time as I passed it over the ridge. It was fine, and I checked the outside of the door for a floor number indicator, but to no avail. Additionally, the door slid silently closed as I was inspecting the hallway, and I only leapt toward it after my attempt was certainly futile. The elevator closed, and as far as I could see, there was no call button. With the elevator door closed, I stood in the hallway in silence. There were two doors on the left wall and two on the right, as well as another at the end of the hall. It was a relatively short section of hall, and the doors were rather close to each other, which led me to believe they were storage closets or offices instead of labs like most other floors. I checked my data pad for the internal signal, finding that not even a message could go in or out. Regardless, I typed up a message to my supervisor and to Octavia in the hopes it would go out when the signal connected. Stuck on private floor, can't call the elevator, please locate. I stood there for what I assumed was five minutes in absolute silence. It was an awkward feeling, like running late to a course as a student, yet not wanting to go in and acknowledge you were late. So after several minutes of silently standing, I walked over to the nearest door on the left and knocked lightly. Uh, hello, this is the Interdivisional Courier. Did you request a package pickup? I lied. It was a defense mechanism. They couldn't be overly angered with me for just trying to do my job. No response led me to try that same thing with the first door on the right. But when no one responded again, I wondered if this floor was even meant to be in operation. With the new labs moving into the building, there may be some floors, or at least some sections of floor, that were still unassigned or without use. Since this thought did not help my stress regarding being stuck on a floor without an elevator call, I tried the next door. This is the interdivisional courier. Did you request a package pickup? At which point, after no reply, I tried opening the door. It was securely locked. I walked around my cart, which was placed in the middle of the hallway at this point, and tried the last door on the left wall. The moment I placed my knuckles against the door, a great scream launched itself from the door at the end of the hall. The voice of a woman screamed a dreadful howl and yelled in a terrified panic for help again and again, its voice penetrating through the door. I rushed over to the door at the end of the hallway and shoved it open as quickly as possible. Unlike the others, it was not locked, and I found myself within the room and upon its floor rather quickly. Once I was in the room, the yelling stopped completely. It was silent again, and I stood up to scan the room. It stretched a little over two stories tall, and metal crates were stacked in piles around the walls and in the center. Directly in the center was a disturbing set of tall male mannequins in varying types of tactical armor standing at the end of a shooting range. From the looks of the room as a whole, it appeared to be an old testing range that was converted into storage. 
The ceiling lights were on, but none of the first floor wall lights seemed to be operational. If this was an old military research and testing ground, the screams I heard most likely came from some test dummy stuffed away in a crate. There was a flight of stairs leading to a ring balcony that comprised the second floor, and from the looks of it, there was an old interfloor communication relay in the upper corner of the room. From my position on the first floor, I headed over to the stairs. The loud clang of my footfalls on the metal greatly contrasted the heavy silence that seemed as much a part of the room as the warm, stale air. Halfway up the stairs, the ceiling lights flickered, and I halted my ascent to watch them do so. Upon reaching the final step, they flickered again, and I made my way over toward the relay. It was there, a few scant paces away from my destination, that the lights gave out entirely. No windows and no auxiliary lights resulted in the entire room becoming a black, gaseous patch around me. Seeing no alternative, I kept my course and continued again toward where I believed the relay to be, my footfalls sending metal vibrations through the dark room. After a few steps, I thought I heard something and stopped walking. A skittering noise, tiny scrapes and taps against the metal floor scurried around me and then stopped. It went silent again as I stood still, listening for anything I could hear and recalling my wandering arms. After I heard nothing again and moved myself forward, my arms back out in front of me, behind me I heard it. A clicky clack any time I stepped, and it was not coming from me. I lifted my foot and placed it down to the ground as slowly and softly as possible as to make no noise click. I held my breath, but I could still hear breathing. The breath was soft, but wheezy, and for a moment I thought I heard the clicking of teeth. I stepped again, and the click of it grew closer, the wheeze grew louder. For a brief moment my fear overcame me, and I turned about, my grasping arms in the dark still flailing about, and I touched it. I fumbled and crashed, fleeing my way back toward the stairs. Whatever it was that I touched dashed away, but now, out of sync with my steps in the dark, I could hear it. It ran about me, wide circles growing smaller and smaller as it skittered in the dark. What I touched was large. It was not some small little thing, but in fact, large enough to be touched by my hand straight out in front of me. The wheezing was so clear now and so much louder and approaching, but I was at the first step and gripped the rails as I vaulted myself down several steps at a time. My feet slid out from beneath me, glancing off the edge of a stair in the pitch black and casting me down the stairs in a heap. My rolling heap was thankfully faster than the skittering, and I reached the bottom of the stairs fairly quickly. Having landed on my arm, my wrist burned with pain as I stood up and tried to rush a feeling path to the door from which I came. I reached out and felt, recoiling in surprise and fear, but the mannequin didn't move. I composed myself and set out toward the door again, lost within the maze of crates. The skittering was close upon me now. Every time I moved, the thing moved with me, and I could hear it dash from my left to my right on the metal floor. At the edge of my vision, I could see a sliver of light coming from beneath the door, and it gleamed like a beacon in my frightened and overwhelmed mind. Turning towards the light, 
I felt air brush by me as the thing in the darkness moved terrifyingly close to me. It could so easily catch up to me. Why not just grab me? It skittered away, but as I grew closer to the door, its horrible noise told me it was right upon me again. Within reach of the frame, I stretched out towards it, but the hand in the dark grasped my clothing, attempting to rip me back into the dark. Its grip settled on the hard corners of my data pad, and to free myself, I unclipped it, sending the unseen force rolling back with a clatter. This brief victory invigorated me, and I reached the door, swinging it open and tumbling out. I could hear it approaching, so quickly this time, and closed the door as fast as possible. As I pressed my weight against it, a large crash shook the door and momentarily threw me off balance. Repositioned and ready, the crashes came in volleys and were paired with skittering and tapping against the back of the door. Whatever it was tried to get through. Whether or not freedom or I was the target, I cannot say. Between volleys and clicks, I heard a soft, mechanized buzz I at first didn't recognize. But as my eyes scanned the small hallway for any source of aid, I set my gaze upon the elevator. The noise I had heard was the elevator activating and moving, hopefully soon into position on my floor. I waited for the end of a volley, and leapt forth from my cart, yanking it back to the door with me and placing it in tandem with my weight before it. The cart shook, and the objects I tried to protect before fell to the floor with all manner of termination-sure sounds. A ding. This was it. The elevator doors began to slide open, and I waited for them to reach their full width. As the crashing and clicking sounds lulled, new sounds of wheezing howls and laughing poured out under the door. The lull was all I needed, and I set my feet to flee across the small hallway and into the open elevator. I reached it just as the doors began to close, and crashed my back against the back of the elevator as I dashed in at full speed. Facing out of the closing doors, I saw the volley begin again, and the great door pushed open slightly, cascading my cart of breakables across the floor. Another volley. It opened more. The gap in the elevator door grew smaller, and with the final volley I could see the door swing open as the lights in the hallway popped and died. Ding. The closed, lighted elevator was on its way. The soft, mechanical whir unknowing of the horror it just replaced. The door opened to an empty elevator lobby, and I jumped out of the elevator, one leg in the door to stop it from closing behind me again. The buttons were there, as were the floor indicator signs. I was on floor 12. I took my leg out of the door and let the elevator leave. Several days later, after my short suspension without pay due to the unexplained loss of materials and an investigation into their whereabouts that led nowhere, I ran into Octavia. Festus, why do you keep leaving me such weird messages? Is this a prank? To make me feel bad about saying this place unsettles me? She looked cross and held her data pad in her hand. What? No, I haven't sent you anything. I mean, I sent you that one. She cut my rambling off and pushed the data pad at me. She tapped the screen and a recording played. Clicking. Tapping. Wheezing. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Podcast. Episode 5 of Tales from the Tower. Floor None was written by Caitlin Statz and was read by Sean Francis. With accompanying voices by Caitlin Statz. 
The music and sounds were designed by Careless Juja, and the introduction theme was performed by Brandon Strader. If you would like more information about the world of Atreus, please check out libertyendures.com. You can also ask questions at our subreddit, Liberty Endures. To support the Liberty Podcast, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash libertypodcast. Liberty is a Fool and Scholar production, and this episode is trademarked by John Dossinger Publishing 2016. Thank you for listening, and may the Archon watch over you. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.